Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Grace-Filled Leader Podcast. Have you ever been described as or described yourself as being a perfectionist, a people pleaser, type A personality, overachiever, or do you find yourself in a perpetual state of busyness? Well, I hate to break it to you, but these might be some indicators that you struggle with high-functioning anxiety. And no need for shame, my friend. I have been there for more years than I can than I can count. The Lord has shown me so much more freedom from this, and it has truly transformed my life. I love to help other women find freedom from similar struggles. And if any of today's episode rings true for you, know that you are not alone and there is hope. Life can look different. I would love to chat more with you one-on-one. Bop over to gracefieldleader.com to book a free discovery session with me. But don't forget to come back here and have a listen as we dive into today's topic. Welcome to the Grace-Filled Leader Podcast. Do you want better work-life balance? Do you get stuck in patterns of perfectionism and people-pleasing? Have you always been an overachiever but never really feel good enough no matter how much outward success you achieve? Do you want more time for the things that matter most? Hi, I'm Tanya, a wife, mom, leader, certified Christian life coach, and Jesus lover. For most of my life, I tried to find worthiness through achievement. But no matter how hard I worked or how much I achieved, I never felt like I was enough. I was left burned out, empty, and exhausted. I had no time or energy for myself or my family. I needed balance. I needed peace. My life changed when I finally started to live like an unconditionally loved daughter of the King, saved by grace. This faith-led podcast will teach you time management, self-care routines, and practical leadership strategies to help you navigate life and leadership. If you're ready to become fueled by grace, and free from people-pleasing? If you're ready to multiply your time and impact as a Christian woman in leadership, this podcast is for you. Unbutton your blazers and roll up your sleeves, sister friends. It's time to get after it. I've shared several times on this show that I've had lifelong struggles with anxiety and people-pleasing, approval-seeking, all of the things. But for so long, I just thought it was part of my nature, a result of my circumstances, and something that was just a normal part of my reality. For the most part, I've always been functional, and I've managed to get through daily life and keep up with my responsibilities and be what the world would see as fairly successful. In recent years, though, I spent more time doing research, and I came upon the term high-functioning anxiety. It isn't really a clinical diagnosis, but it describes characteristics that resonated with me deeply, and I'm certain will resonate with many of you. Many of the behaviors are accepted and even rewarded in society, but in reality, many of them are signs of being dysregulated, and they come at a long-term cost. And when I talk about being dysregulated, I'm talking about from a nervous system standpoint, a nervous system that is not well regulated or in balance. 
I'm going to get a little nerdy and dive into our nervous system and the role it plays in a future episode, but is it, it is important to be aware of that connection. Before we can do anything to prevent or correct our anxiety, we first have to recognize it and understand it. Today we're talking about 10 symptoms of high-functioning anxiety, some of the causes or common causes or risk factors, and some strategies that will allow for a bit more calm and peaceful existence. High-functioning anxiety is sometimes referred to as hidden or smiling anxiety, and it's it's a term used to describe individuals who experience anxiety symptoms but manage to function well in their daily lives. While they may appear calm and composed on the outside, they often struggle with inner turmoil. Here are some of the symptoms, causes, and potential strategies for at least coping with high-functioning anxiety. So first, some of the symptoms. I'm going to go through 10 of them. I don't know about you, but most of these were a little too familiar to me. The first one is excessive worry. People with high-functioning anxiety often experience persistent and excessive worry about various aspects of their life, such as work, relationships, their health, or just their own personal achievement which then leads to another sign or symptom of high-functioning anxiety, which is a need for control. People with high-functioning anxiety may try to control every single aspect of their lives in an effort to reduce their anxiety or their worry. A third common symptom is perfectionism. There's a strong desire to achieve perfection and avoid making mistakes. This then can lead to self-criticism and fear of failure. Number four, overthinking. Boy, doesn't this sound familiar. Constantly overanalyzing situations, decisions, and interactions, which then can lead to difficulty making choices. People with anxiety are often ruminating on the past or worrying about the future. They really struggle with just being in the present. Fifth, you can actually suffer some physical symptoms, and chances are you might not even attribute them to anxiety. While the anxiety may be predominantly internal, it can also manifest physically through symptoms like tension, restlessness, excessive fatigue, headaches, gastrointestinal issues, and even generalized muscle aches. A lot of people with high-functioning anxiety really have difficulty relaxing. They struggle to relax or they feel guilty when they take time for themselves. They actually are uncomfortable with relaxing and they struggle to just be still because they're in a constant state of hyper-arousal. A seventh characteristic characteristic is procrastination or avoidance. Fear of not meeting their own high standards can lead to procrastinating and avoidance. People with high-functioning anxiety may avoid certain 
situations or experiences such as social events or new opportunities due, their, due to their own fear or anxiety. Gosh, I've told more people than I can count that I have social anxiety and I, sorry to say, I am someone who struggles or tends toward avoidance when it comes to my attempts at managing anxiety. I just want to go home and be alone. I don't often look forward to social engagements. I usually have a good time and do fine once I'm there, but it's not something that I routinely seek out, which isn't especially helpful for our neural system either. Okay, on to number eight. Boy, this one sounds familiar too, doesn't it? I think I'm going to say that a lot today. (laughs) Difficulty saying no, or as we talk about a lot on the show, people pleasing. A strong desire to please others can result in an inability to set boundaries, which then leads to increased stress. Number nine, sleep disturbances. You might have difficulty falling asleep, staying asleep, or maybe you experience frequent nightmares or interrupted sleep. And finally, I know this one again resonates quite a lot with me or has in the past, imposter syndrome. People with high-functioning anxiety may feel like They're not worthy of their own accomplishments, and they may constantly doubt themselves or their abilities. It's that old kind of achievement-based worth. It seems like we're crazy busy trying to achieve and do and be perfect, but we never quite reach the mark or the mark that we have set for ourselves anyway. Some of the common contributing factors to anxiety are genetics. Sometimes a family history of anxiety disorder obviously can increase your risk of developing anxiety or high-functioning anxiety. Personality traits, or really better described as personality or coping patterns, such as perfectionism and a strong desire for achievement, can make people more susceptible to this high-functioning form of anxiety. And really, remember, as I said, personality patterns. It's more about coping strategies that we've developed over time in response to something that in some way, shape, or form we, we perceived as trauma or threat or, um, I don't know, we don't even often recognize it, but Stressful life events can be risk factors or causes, traumatic experiences, chronic stress, or major life changes can trigger or exacerbate anxiety. Environmental factors. Growing up in a high-pressure or overly critical environment can contribute to the development of anxiety. And oftentimes, you know, this is usually referenced in our family of origin or parenting. And I think what's true for most of us is that we as parents and our parents did the best they could and we've done the best we could with what we knew and what we had. But the reality is sometimes the way in which we communicate or act or parent does create an environment that 
makes our children feel sort of pressured or that we're overly critical or that we have really high expectations. And so then they develop anxiety or coping strategies to try to meet our expectations and they maybe fear that they won't, all of those things. So while well-intended, we can kind (laughs) of goof up our kids. And then finally, neurochemical imbalances are a common um, risk factor. So imbalances in neurotransmitters in the brain, such as serotonin and norepinephrine, can play a role in anxiety disorders. And anxiety disorders, and this is what generally most uh, medications will attempt to remedy, are some of those imbalances in neurotransmitters in the brain. Some of the treatment for high-functioning anxiety typically involves a combination of things, both clinically therapeutic and some self-care strategies. And while treatment may include formal therapy and or medications, I'm going to talk about a few things outside the medical realm, so to speak, but that is not to discount the importance that they play. It's just not um, my scope of expertise to speak on. I'm not a mental health pr- professional. I'm not a medical doctor. So I am not going to pretend to speak to those aspects of treatment. But some of the things that can be very helpful, at least as an adjunct to formal treatment, can include getting regular physical exercise, moving our bodies. Number two, eating a balanced diet made up of foods that are as close to the way that God made them as possible. So kind of that idea of shopping the the outskirts of the grocery store. Third, getting adequate sleep at night. And this one truly cannot be overemphasized. Despite some individual opinions about how much sleep people think they need, Research actually shows that most people need at least eight hours of sleep to function at their best. So you might meet people that think they're, they do great on three or four hours of sleep, but that's pretty rare and unlikely. Number four, learning how to practice mindfulness and relaxation techniques is extremely important in managing stress and anxiety. We We have to learn and retrain our nervous system how to just be still when we tend to otherwise function in this heightened state of arousal or fight or flight. Um, So just plain learning how to relax is essential. Number five, challenging our thought patterns is something we have talked about before. Many of the things we tell ourselves are just not true and we need to begin to build different communication pathways inside our brain. We need to change our story. Remember, our brains are plastic in that they can be molded to do and think differently than they have in the past. With repetition, we can actually form new neural pathways. We can form new thought patterns. And if we think differently, we feel differently, and we act differently. Number six, learning how to set boundaries or say no is another important part of reducing anxiety. This is true both in our personal and professional lives and relationships. Number seven, 
creating and being present with a support system. Often that means our family and friends or maybe even trusted colleagues. While our anxious nature often makes us want to avoid social interactions, it's actually important for maintaining a healthy nervous system. And finally, something we talk a lot about is developing effective time management skills to help reduce anxiety. Part of that is recognizing what is actually important and of priority, and then creating systems that allow you to make time for those priorities. I want to reiterate that I am not claiming to be a mental health professional, and what I'm sharing is not intended to replace the advice of a mental health professional. It is always advisable to consult a mental health professional if you are struggling with anxiety or any other potential mental health uh, disorder. The best intervention is often multifaceted, but you do play a role. Your habits, your mindset, all of those things. So I'm going to give you just a few simple things to start with so that you aren't overwhelmed by the list I just gave to you. I told you 10 symptoms and 8 strategies, and I'm a little overwhelmed just saying them to you. So I can imagine what you might be thinking. So I would suggest you start with just maybe three of them. And if I had to pick, I would say you should start with the following three things. Number one, and I think honestly this is probably the most important, at least for me, is to commit to getting at least eight hours of sleep at night. Number two, move your body enough to sweat a little, even if it's just 10 to 15 minutes each day. And number three, commit to at least five or 10 minutes of quiet time during which you are just still. No doing, no external stimulation, just be still. So sleep, movement, and stillness is where I would start if I were you. And once you master a few of these strategies, start to monitor and challenge your thought life. Remember, if you need a partner in this journey toward a more purposeful and peaceful life, jump on a free discovery call with me to see if one-on-one coaching is for you. Getting your head and your heart decluttered is often the first step to getting your life and your schedule decluttered. You can go to gracefieldleader.com slash workwithme to learn more and to book your free session. That's gracefieldleader.com slash workwithme. And until next time, my sister friends, I pray that God blesses you, that he fills you with gratitude and his amazing grace. I pray this episode blessed you, spoke to you, or encouraged you in some way. If so, please share it with a friend and head on over to Apple Podcasts to leave me a review. That's the only way for me to know if you're enjoying the show. Nothing blesses me more than to hear from you. Also, come on over to our free Facebook community. This is a great place for us to support one another on our faith and leadership journeys. You can find the link to the group in the show notes or go to gracefieldleader.com forward slash community. If you have questions or content ideas for the show, please send me a message on SpeakPipe or via email. Go to gracefilledleader.com forward slash contact and leave a written or voice recorded message. 
I would love to know how I can best serve you on the podcast. Now to him who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Ephesians 3 verse 20. Until next time, my friends, God bless.